Father, we love you today. Lord, we bless you and thank you that you promised that, Lord, you will pour water on him that is thirsty and you will pour floods on the dry ground. Lord, today, here we are, your people, waiting and longing, filled with yearning and desire, Lord, to be filled with your presence. Lord, we pray today on this Pentecost Sunday, Lord, as we celebrate and remember you pouring out your spirit that today you'd meet with us who've gathered because we love you. Lord, who wait eagerly once again for you to fill us and breathe on us that you might use us for your glory to advance your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would do it this morning in us, through us. Lord, we pray for our community today. We pray for our nation today. Lord, our prayer would be that instead of the fire of riots and anger, there would be the fire of revival and renewal that would burn in our land. We pray, Lord God, instead of the fire of judgment that would come on our nation, that the fire of repentance and purification would come to us and that, Lord, instead of us turning on each other, we would collectively turn toward you. We would cry out to you to heal our land. Father, today we do that. We ask you to meet us. We ask you today to do something in us and through us that would enable us and empower us to be part of what you're doing in this last hour on this planet before you come again. Lord, we'll bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, one more time, sing that chorus. Make it your prayer today. Thank you, team, leading us into the presence of the Lord. Greet you on this Pentecost Sunday, this graduate Sunday for us at Forest Hill Church. Tonight, baccalaureate, 6 o'clock. If you're registered, don't forget to attend that tonight. Be celebrating them. Hope you were able to catch that video just before service. If you brought a gift, you can leave that uh, in the gym for them today. If you don't want to come back tonight and see them. I'm glad you're with us today, amen? Happy Pentecost. If you have your Bible, I'm in the book of Acts. It's no surprise, right? The book of Acts. If you find your place in chapter 2, we'll be looking together. Acts 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to be looking at a couple places in Acts here. Acts 1. We're going to spend a lot of our morning in Acts 10 as well. So uh, just find the book of Acts and you're all good. Amen? Acts chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord. The, the text of the day. This great day of Pentecost. 50 days after uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Ten days after he ascended to heaven, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Or our staff's favorite version, the King James, it says, what meaneth this? What does it mean? Well, I want to talk to you today about what it means, and I want to talk to you today, of all things, about uh, the, I want to talk about the promise of Pentecost, I want to talk about the purpose of Pentecost, but I want to talk about the problem of Pentecost today. Some of you say, there's a problem with Pentecost? There's, there's a problem we have to address for Pentecost to become a reality for our country and for our church. Amen? We're going to talk about that today. Acts chapter 2 is our text, and we just got through reading that. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and as people said... Amen. I want to talk to you first, though, about the purpose of Pentecost. Say the purpose. This gift of the Holy Spirit that God poured out on his church in Acts chapter 2 has a very distinct purpose. Amen. And Jesus had told the church what that purpose was before he ever ascended to heaven and poured the Holy Spirit out on his church in Acts 2. He had told them back in Acts chapter 1 that this was going to happen. In Acts 1 verses 4 and 5, it says, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In verse 8 it says you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So there's the stated purpose of Pentecost right there in verse 8. Pentecost comes to empower God's people to be his witnesses in the world. That's the purpose of Pentecost. Amen? People say, well, Pentecost fills you with love. Well, all Christians are supposed to have love. Amen? Pentecost comes to fill you with power so that you might be a bold, dynamic witness for Jesus in the world. That is the purpose, Luke says, of this Pentecostal blessing. That's why it comes. I grew up in the holiness tradition, and I'm very thankful for that tradition. And they emphasize that the Spirit comes to bring purity and to sanctify us. The Holy Spirit does come to do that. He does. He regenerates you in the new birth. He sanctifies you when you surrender your heart. But sanctification and empowerment are not the same thing. Sanctification is what God does in me to give me a clean heart. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is something God pours out upon my life so that I might be of use and benefit to the kingdom of God in the world. Amen. So that's the purpose of Pentecost. So if we just say the Spirit comes to save us, that's not enough. If we just say the Spirit comes to sanctify us and give us a clean heart, that's good, but it's not far enough. There's a third step here. The Spirit of God who saves me and cleans me up on the inside has to turn me inside out and use me in the world around me for God's purpose. And that's why he fills us or baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said, and that's what Luke preached. 
that's what we find here in Acts chapter 1. Amen. And so the purpose of Pentecost is to be a witness for Jesus. After the resurrection of Jesus, in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have this thing at the end of the book that we call the Great Commission. Say that with me. The Great Commission. The Great Commission is the last command of Jesus to the church. Now, how many of you know somebody's last words are usually important words? Amen. And before Jesus went to heaven, he gave us some last words. And those last words, we, are, we find them in all three Gospels. Notice the, the thrust of this. Matthew 28, he says it this way. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Say all the nations. Amen. Then he says in Mark, he says it this way. Mark 16, 15. Go ye therefore into all the world. Say all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. Say every creature. Say it like you ate breakfast this morning. Say every creature. There you are. Hallelujah. All the world, every creature. In Luke's gospel, he says this way. He commanded them that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to who? To all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Amen. So this is the thrust. And so Luke tells us this. In Luke, he goes on two verses later to say this though. You can't accomplish this in your own power. You can't pull this off in your own strength. This is going to take more than human energy to do. You're going to need some supernatural power. A few minutes ago, you met our favorite new friend. His name is Mr. Wiggles, and he's part of the children's ministry here. Amen. I wanted to call him Bishop Buckaloo, but the kids wanted to call him Mr. Wiggles, so we called him Mr. Wiggles. Mr. Wiggles, as you met a moment ago, has a purpose, and his purpose is to attract attention to the kids' church down here. But he is purposeless as long as he is powerless, amen? He's got to have power to accomplish his purpose, and so do you as a Christian. You have a purpose when God saved you. He had a purpose when he was created, but just because they made him and put him in a box and shift him to us doesn't mean he's ready to fulfill his purpose. He can't fulfill his purpose until he's plugged into the power source and turned on. Amen? Whenever you got saved, God recreated your heart, gave you a new spirit, and made you everything you have to be to be used of God. But the problem is we hadn't plugged you in yet. Amen. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is plugging you in so that the power of God can flow through you and you can be God's witness in the world. You got to have some power. Say power. Amen. And so that's the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not only is there the purpose of Pentecost, we've got the promise of Pentecost. Amen. Say the promise. Amen. Pastor Tristan read that at the beginning of today's service. Joel chapter 2 is the promise. Peter quotes from Joel 2 in Acts 2, 14 through 18. Whenever he's gathered with them, he explains what God is up to. Amen. In Acts 2, 14, he stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you this day. Heed my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It was 9 a.m. Amen. The bar wasn't even open yet. They weren't drunk with wine. These men are not drunk with wine as you suppose. But they are, this is, they, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What was spoken? Here's Joel's prophecy. He quotes it. In the last days it will come to pass, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Say all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. On the manservants and the maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. This is the promise. This is the promise we have. The promise of Pentecost that not only is salvation for all nations, but that God pouring out his spirit is supposed to be upon all people. Amen. It's for everyone. At Babel, different languages just divided the world. But at Pentecost, God used spirit-filled believers speaking different languages to unite the crowd of every nation under heaven so they could hear the gospel proclaimed. And so Peter explains it using this verse. I love it. This gift of Pentecost, this gift of the Holy Spirit is promised to all God's people. In Acts 2, he tells us that. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Say the gift. He's a gift. The next verse says, for the promise belongs to you and to your children and to those who are far off and to as many as the Lord will call. If you've been called to salvation, you've been promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's the good news today. So it's a promise for us. Peter declared this gift of the Holy Spirit was for everybody. It's for all races. Say all races. I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh, he says. White flesh, black flesh, Hispanic flesh, Asian flesh, Jewish flesh, Gentile flesh, Samaritan flesh. It didn't matter. All flesh. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for everybody. All God's people who are made in God's image. The gift of the Spirit is for both genders. Say both genders. Notice he said your sons and your daughters would prophesy. Amen. I've had people take issue. They say, Pastor, your church believes in allowing women to teach and to preach. I said, yes, glory to God. We sure do. If you got any women in your denomination to preach and you won't let them, send them over to us. We'll let them. Amen. Glory to God. Well, where do you see that in the Bible? Right here. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Daughters shall prophesy. Amen. I don't believe any more or any less than the book says, but the book says it, and I believe it. Amen. And so it's for both genders. It's for men and women to speak under the anointing of God, to have the Spirit of God lay His hand on their life, and they have something to say and something to contribute. It's for both genders. It's for all ages. Say all ages. He said your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Whether you're old or you're young, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. Amen? If you have been in this thing since you were a child or if you just came into this thing called the Church of Jesus, God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. It's important. You need to be a Spirit-filled Christian. Amen? To fulfill your purpose in this world. It's for all ages, young and old. It's also for all classes. Say all classes. He says your men servants and your maid servants will receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God's not just for people that we might think are important people in the church. Being filled with the Spirit's not just for pastors or deacons or Sunday school teachers. No, the, the preacher here says that being filled with the Spirit is for everybody from the head of the house to the one cleaning the house. Amen? It's for everybody from the preacher to the pew sitter. It's for everyone, all ages, all people, all classes, God promises to pour out his spirit on his church. Amen. This is the promise of Pentecost. Say the promise. But I want to get to this one today and this is the problem of Pentecost. Say the problem. There's a problem with Peter's sermon on this day. It's the problem with most sermons. They're easier to preach than they are to live. <laughs> 
It's easy for Peter to preach about all nations. It's easy for him to stand up and say this is for all flesh. But if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you find out that wasn't as easy said as it was done. In fact, Peter's preaching, his, there's nothing wrong with his communication. His communication is right. It's to all flesh. He's speaking to a crowd gathered from every nation under heaven. But the problem is not his communication. The problem is his congregation. When Peter preaches in Acts 2, the Bible says, though they're gathered from every nation, the next verse says they were Jews. All Jews from, from all these nations. Devout Jews from every nation under heaven. Jews and proselytes which means you're either Jewish or you were a Gentile that converted to the Jewish religion. In other words, everybody Peter is preaching this message to is just like Peter. They're all part of the Jewish family. And so he's preaching a diverse gospel to a very monolithic crowd. He's preaching uh, to this message about all nations, but they haven't taken it to all nations yet. Amen. Now we'll give him some credit in Acts 2. He had to start somewhere. So he started with who was in front of him. That's what Jesus said to do. Preach the gospel beginning at Jerusalem. That's what Peter does. The problem is this. The Lord told him to start at Jerusalem. He didn't tell him to get stuck at Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And they got stuck at Jerusalem. Now listen, it's pretty clear to me, we just read the Great Commission from three different passages. And it seems very obvious that Jesus wanted them to go to all nations. He wanted them to make disciples of all nations. He wanted them to go to all the world and preach a gospel to every creature. And yet in Acts 2, we find them empowered to do it. And for the next eight chapters, you don't see them doing it. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, because the apostles won't go and do it, God finally has to stir up a deacon to go do it. A deacon named Philip finally goes down to Samaria and runs a street revival, and the whole town comes to Jesus, and then they have to go get the apostles to come down and lay hands on them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that crazy? A layman had to go start the revival, Randy, and the pastor didn't show up till the thing was up and going good. Sounds just like a preacher, don't it? Yeah. Came in to save the day. He was there to eat, check, eat chicken and cash checks, I guess. He, amen. Like, where have you been? Philip's saying, where are you? Yeah, the revival's going good. Well, they came down and saw that God had poured his spirit out on the Samaritans. God was saving them and they laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit as this definite other gift apart from salvation. Here it is. The Bible tells us that, uh, that they're dealing with this issue. And so uh, it, it's a problem for them. The problem is this. They're, they're not going like Jesus told them to go. It is not until Acts 10 that you finally get Peter preaching to somebody who is not Jewish. I mean, seven whole chapters later, you finally get Peter in front of a non-Jewish audience. Amen. That's crazy. He told them to start at Jerusalem. They got stuck at Jerusalem. It's amazing even today how many churches, how many Christians never get around to sharing the gospel with anybody that doesn't look like them. It's amazing to me today how many churches are still very monolithic, like the crowd Peter was preaching to in Acts 2. Everybody looks alike. It's amazing to me even today in the world we live in. 2,000 years after Jesus gave us the Great Commission and we still got white churches and black churches and Hispanic churches and Asian churches and it's supposed to just be churches. Amen. 
I understand if there's a language barrier that keeps you from worshiping together, and we might need to meet in a different building because of the language barrier, but most churches, it isn't a language problem that keeps them separated. It's a love problem that keeps them separated. It's not that they can't understand each other. It's that they don't want to talk to one another. Hmm. I mean, this is the issue, and this is the problem of Pentecost. We are a movement that is built on and committed to this belief that God wants all nations and all people to be saved and filled with his spirit. And yet we don't very deliberately go to all the nations or even all the people groups around us many times and share that message. And that's the problem with Peter. That's what's happening to him. The church in Jerusalem had a problem. They are, here they are, they're all huddled up together, amen? The Bible tells us this. So the Bible tells us that Peter, here he is, he, he, he's, he, he's stuck in the issue and God finally puts his foot in his back and gets him to go down and preach to a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 at Caesarea. But the problem was this, Peter didn't go willingly. God had to speak to him directly. God had to give him an open vision to convince him to go share the gospel at Cornelius's house. They were coming to knock on the door, but God knew if he didn't get to Peter before these men got to Peter, Peter would say no and decline the invitation to go preach at Cornelius' house. So God gives him a vision. He lets a sheet down in front of him. God knew how to speak to Peter. Peter was a good Jew, and there were three things that a good Jew would not do. He would not break the Sabbath. He would not fail to circumcise his male children as a sign of the covenant, and he would not break the dietary laws of his people. Those three things marks you as being a good Jewish man. And so God lets the sheet down in front of him filled with all sort of unclean food. You know, the kind of stuff we like on the coast, barbecued pork chops and shrimp and crab and all that kind of stuff. That's unclean. It's against the Old Testament teachings. Thank God I'm not Jewish and thank God it's not the Old Testament. Amen. Break out the crab claws and pass the remulod sauce. Amen. <laughs> But here he is, he's lowering all these things down in front of him. And in the spirit, he speaks to Peter and he says, rise, kill and eat. And Peter says, oh no, Lord, I'm not touching that unclean food. I never have and I never will. And God speaks back to Peter and says, don't you call unclean what I've cleansed. Don't call common what I've made clean. And then there's a knock at the door and these Gentiles, these unclean people come and invite Peter to preach the gospel at Cornelius' house. And Peter understands what God is saying to him, that the wall that had been put up in the Old Testament had been torn down in the New Testament and that the God who once told Israel not to mingle with the nations, that God had now told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. And Peter hadn't obeyed it and he hadn't done it. Why? Because Peter had a problem. Peter was saved. Peter was spirit-filled. But Peter had something unresolved in his heart. And God had to speak to him about it. And God had to put his finger on it. And God had to deal with it. What was the problem in Peter's heart? It's the problem in a lot of people's heart. Peter struggled with racism. Well, my Lord, you mean the apostle Peter? Yes. And the Holy Ghost had to deal with it in order for the gospel to be able to go forward in his community. You hear me? And in order for the gospel to be able to go forward in our community, God may have to let down the sheet in front of us and ask us, what's keeping you from reaching out and loving and engaging the neighbors around you who are different than you? Oh, Lord, help us. It's quiet and holy in this church. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> 
think all the air leaked out of here. Hmm. The problem is this. They'd been called to all the nations. They didn't want to leave Jerusalem. They'd been commanded to reach the Gentile for Christ, but they didn't really care for the Gentiles. Their skin was a different color. They spoke a different language. They wore strange clothing. They ate disgusting, nasty food. Not only that, they had been raised to hate Gentiles, and many of the Gentiles had mistreated them, so they weren't in a hurry to go take the gospel to them. Hmm. Oh, the Bible's not a relevant book. <laughs> Oh yeah, very relevant, isn't it? Race was an issue from the beginning of the church and the Holy Spirit had to deal with it on the front end or the gospel never would have went forward to the nations. And God poured out his spirit to empower his church to deal with it and to take the gospel beyond the walls of racial division. Peter finally agrees to go down. In Acts 10, 28, he says, you know what is unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me, he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. What a great verse for our day. I should not call any man common or unclean. Acts 10, 34, he says, in truth I perceive God shows no partiality he says, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Then an amazing thing happened right in the middle of Peter's sermon. The Holy Ghost interrupts. The Spirit of God falls on the people hearing the word. And verse 44 says, while he's preaching, the Spirit of the Lord fell on them. And those that went with Peter were astonished. And the Lord filled them with the Holy Ghost. How did they know they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit? The same thing that happened to them in Acts 2 happened to these people in Acts 10. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability. And then Peter did the only natural thing to do. What did he do? He baptized them and took them in as members of the church. Amen. Do you promise to walk in the light of Scripture as it shines on your path? Yeah, he took them in. Yeah. Here we are. What's the problem of Pentecost? The problem of Pentecost is this. There was an unwillingness for them to leave the comfort zone of their own demographic and take the gospel to other people that were not like them in their community. And it was a problem. It's a problem then. It's often a problem now. The Bible, had to, the Bible says God had to fix the problem. So what did he do? God stirred up the nest. In chapter 11, the Bible says, God allowed persecution to come on the church. And that persecution called them, caused them to scatter. Acts 11 verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word. Here's the problem. To no one but the Jews only. That's still not okay. But some of them, say some of them, were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. And when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, that's Gentile people, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. It took persecution to get the church to finally scatter and share the gospel with people that were not like them. What is it gonna take in our generation for us, spirit-filled people, to realize that it is more than time for us to cross racial division and share the gospel with people in our community. It took persecution for the early church to finally cross the race line and share the message of Jesus. What will it take in our day? Will it take violence in the streets for us to finally realize that the problem in our world is not a political problem? It is, listen, it ain't a skin problem, it's a sin problem. 
The problem is as deep as the human heart. The problem doesn't run through the government. It doesn't run through the zip code. It doesn't run through any streets you can name. It runs right down and through the middle of our hearts. That's the problem. And the only way the problem will ever be dealt with is if the Holy Spirit of God can get a hold of our hearts and do a work in our hearts so that instead of turning against each other, he turns us toward him and toward one another. That's the only way it'll work. The only answer for this ultimately, the government can put some band-aids on it, but the only cure for it is the gospel of Jesus. It is Christ changing our hearts. It is the Spirit of God purifying and purging and burning out the sin of racism and irrational fear toward one another, burning out greed and and selfishness, burning out the root of sin and self-interest. Only the Spirit of God can do that. We live in a nation today that reminds me of the story in the book of Acts, a nation that is deeply divided along racial lines. From the vigilante killing of Ahmaud Arbery in February, the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor in her Kentucky home during a failed raid, to uh, in March to last week's viral video of the senseless killing and death of George Floyd, recent events have turned our nation into a boiling pot of racial tension. Peaceful protests became dangerous riots in over 30 cities of the United States as outrage and grief turned to anger and violence. More than ever before, a divided world needs a united church. A world in survival mode needs a church in revival mode. Amen. It needs a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Because a spirit-filled church is the only thing that can answer the challenge of the day we live in. People who've allowed the Holy Spirit to come and do a work in their hearts and lives. That's where it's got to start. Listen to that. The church of Jesus should be leading the way in this area. But often it doesn't lead the way. Often it's way too silent and way too behind the curve. God's people ought to be leading the way in reconciliation and running toward one another and uniting to one another. Why? Because what we have in common in Christ is greater than what we have different about any other thing. And so Christians ought to be able to unite around the cross and the gospel of Jesus. And if we can't, there's something wrong with us. One of my best friends when I pastored the Mendenhall Church of God was an African-American pastor in our community. His name was John Willis. And he would often talk about racial reconciliation this way. He'd put his arm around my neck and he would say, I'm reconciled to God and Daniel is reconciled to God. And that means we're reconciled to one another. And if me and Daniel aren't reconciled to one another, we need to figure out which one of us is not reconciled to God. (laughs) Amen. Because if God is both of our father, then John Willis was my brother. It has to start centered and rooted in the gospel. That's the only place it can begin. Now, there's a lot of places it needs to go from there. There's a lot of work that needs to be done from there. And it'll spill over and have a lot of implications. But at the grassroots level, it's got to start in the hearts of the people of God. Not only should the church be leading the way, Pentecostal Christians ought to be leading the church in this. I'm going to be bold enough and say it that way. Why? Because we're the people who claim we believe that the Spirit is to be poured out on all flesh. We're the people who claim we believe that. We're the people who preach and declare that message. Not only is it our theology, it is our history. One of the first great revivals that helped send Pentecost all over the world was the Azusa Street Revival. The Azusa Street Revival was responsible for starting the Assemblies of God denomination. Did you know that? 
Did you know that the revival that began the, the, the Assemblies of God denomination was led by a black man named William J. Seymour, and he was the son of former slaves from Centerville, Louisiana. And he preached in a converted grain mill on the wrong side of the tracks in Los Angeles, California, and the Spirit of God fell, and people began to come from all over Los Angeles, the wealthy and the rich and the erudite and educated preachers, and they would come, and they would fall under conviction, and they would roll in the sawdust and ask God to fill them with the Holy Spirit like he filled W.J. Seymour and his congregation. And it sparked a revival that broke down racial barriers and it broke down economic barriers and it united the people of God and it sent the gospel all over the world and launched the Pentecostal revival. That was in 1906. That was 50 years before the civil rights movement. Before Dr. King ever marched down one street, there were a group of spirit-filled people who were full of the Holy Ghost and knew that it was the will of God and the plan of God to unite the people of God across racial lines. This isn't new to us. This isn't the first time we've done this or had to do it. And we ought to be doing it now. And we ought to be leading the way in doing it. And we ought to be showing everybody else how to do it. Because it's our heritage. And it's our calling. And it's what we claim we believe. So it's time we get after it. Lord, help us today. Don't know if I'm mad or anointed. Amen? Well, Pastor, what do you want us to do about it? I'm so glad you asked. Let me give you six steps before I have to get you out of here and clean this building for the 1130 service. Number one, listen to the Bible over, your, over the way you were raised. Your mom and daddy taught you many good things. Your grandma and grandpa taught you many good things. But if I had to guess, they taught you a few things that you probably need to unlearn. And anybody in your upbringing who taught you anything other than what this book says about a fellow human being, you need to unlearn it and you need to learn what the book says. Amen. The Bible says from one blood he made all peoples and all nations on this planet. You hear me? One blood. No matter what color you are on the outside, we all bleed the same. We're one blood. And that's what the Bible says about us. Anything that conflicts with that, you need to unlearn it and learn what the book says. Honor the Bible over your upbringing. Hear me today. Number two, let God reveal and address your racial prejudice issues. God, even though Peter knew what the book said, he knew what Jesus had commanded him to do. He didn't do it until he had an encounter with God and God had to let a sheet down in front of him and show him what his problem was. God had to specifically put his finger on it in Peter's heart and say, Peter, you've got a racial issue and I want to deal with it. And that was, the only, that was the first time Peter was ever confronted with it. And Peter had to deal with it because the Spirit of God called him out on it and convicted him about it. It's time for all of us to sit alone with God and say, Holy Spirit, come and search me and show me my issues. Let the sheet down in front of me and show me what's there. What's causing me to pull back or keep someone else at a distance that I should not? Amen. Number three, let, let, enter the world of somebody different than you. Oh, pastor, I wish you'd quit meddling and just preaching the Bible. I am preaching the Bible. Peter got up and left the Jews' house at Joppa and went down to the Gentiles' house at Caesarea. He had to enter somebody else's world in order for the gospel to go forward. Oh, pastor, somebody wants to come to church here, they can come here. The Bible didn't say that, that, uh, it didn't say that the centurion came to Peter's house. It says Peter went to the centurion's house. It's our responsibility to take the gospel to people that don't know it, not their responsibility to come here and hear it. Go ye, not sit ye, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. 
You can't put a go ye gospel into a come ye church. It won't work. Amen. We're called to go. It is the, the onus, the responsibility is on the spirit-filled Christian to enter the world of someone different than himself or herself. It's our responsibility to deliberately penetrate and enter the world of people that are unlike ourselves in order to find common ground with them that we might share the gospel with them. It's on us. That's why God filled you with the Holy Spirit. He didn't fill you with the Holy Spirit so you could feel a, a warm rigor run down your spine. Amen? Go to the horror movie. You'll get a warm rigor there too. Amen? He didn't fill you with the Holy Ghost so you could feel all warm and fuzzy down on the inside. Take a roll aid and that'll go away. God filled you with the Holy Ghost so you could step outside your world into somebody else's world and share the gospel of Christ. That's why the Spirit comes. Hear me today. So what do we do? We let Christ be our common ground. Find common ground with someone else. If nothing else, here's the common ground. We're all sinners and we all need a Savior and Jesus is the only one. Amen. And the good news for us in this room today is He wasn't black or white. Amen. He was brown. He was Jewish. He didn't look like none of y'all. <laughs> Except maybe you with a tan. Yeah. <laughs> Lord help us. Let Jesus become the common ground that you share with somebody. Let Christ be your common ground. You've got more in common with a Christian of another ethnicity than you do an unbeliever who's the same color as you. Amen. Develop deep friendships, not casual acquaintances with other people. People of a, different gen, of, of a different race than yourself. Peter didn't just go take a preaching invitation. The Bible says when they came to the house at Joppa, they spent the night and they stayed with him and he learned about them. When he went and preached at Cornelius' house, the Bible says they asked him to stay several days with them. He stayed. He built a friendship. He built more than just a passing acquaintance with them. He became friends with them. He got to know them. A lot of junk would end in our country if people of different ethnicities would quit talking at each other and quit talking about each other and start sitting down around a table with a cup of coffee and talking to each other. When's the last time we did that deliberately? Make that happen. Finally, have the hard conversation with your friends that still don't get it. When Peter got back to Jerusalem, they were mad at him for going and preaching to those Gentiles. And Peter had to have the hard conversation to say, I'm not wrong, you're wrong. And let me tell you why you're wrong. That's a hard conversation to have, isn't it? You may have to have a hard conversation. You may have to look at somebody in your family and say, don't tell a racial joke like that in front of me. I won't stand for it. I won't hear it. You may have to look at somebody in a previous generation and say, I know they may have used language like that in your generation, but you're not going to say words like that in front of my children because they're not going to pick up the bad habit that you have of calling people out of their name. It's quiet and holiness, church. Have the hard conversation. Draw the line in your family. Break it right where it is now so that it doesn't continue. It's the only way forward. Stand with me all over God's house today. We are a Christian church who stands in the Pentecostal tradition. But that has to mean more than just we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. It has to mean more than we've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and prayed in other tongues. To be genuinely Pentecostal according to the Bible means we allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn up our preferences and incinerate our prejudices. 
It means allowing the Spirit of Jesus who loves people around me who are different than me just as much as He loves me. It means allowing Him to fill my heart and life. It means that I obey the Holy Spirit when He pushes me out of my comfort zone to connect with people whose skin is a different color than mine, who speaks a different language than me, who voted for a different candidate than I did, who see the world through a different set of glasses than I do, so I can find common ground and lead them to Jesus or meet a new brother or sister in Christ if they're believers. It means allowing my allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom to outweigh and overshadow every other identity marker in my life. Before we are white or black, before we are Democrat or Republican, before we are American or Latino or anything else, we are Christians who've been baptized into the name of God and we bear that name. And that name ought to outweigh and supersede every other name, every other label, every other title. Be a Christian today. Be a Christian today. It means taking the initiative and leading the way in living out and modeling this kingdom reality in front of my children and my grandchildren. It means allowing the Lord to address, reveal, and change my own heart toward others till I'm filled with the Spirit of Jesus. That's what it looks like. Bow your head with me this morning. We're going to close with a little chorus we've often sung during times of prayer and revival here at the Hill. It's our prayer for the day, but I want to lead us in prayer as we prepare to sing to the Lord for a moment before we break. Lord, we lift our heart up to you today. And Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, when we celebrate you sending your spirit, pouring him out on your church to empower us to be your witnesses. Lord, we ask you today that Lord, you would come. You do a work in us. Lord, we pray today. We pray first of all for ourselves, Lord. We pray God that you would shine the light of your spirit, the searchlight on our hearts. Like Peter, you would reveal what's there. And any attitude or uncovered tendency that we have when it comes to the issue of race that would displease or dishonor you or hinder us, we pray that today you'd put your finger on it and Holy Spirit, you'd call us to deal with it and that we would honestly confess it and allow you to change our hearts. Father, we pray today for minority friends who are struggling to process great grief and very real felt anger over outrageous events in our country over the course of the last few weeks and months that to them are just symbolic of what's gone on for years. Lord, we pray that you would give them the comfort of your Holy Spirit as only you can. That God, you would raise up leadership and men and women among them that might be able to speak the word of God to them and comfort their hearts. Lord, we pray for law enforcement officers who seek to keep good order and protect and serve citizens of our cities. We pray that, God, you would both be their protector and their restrainer, that you would protect them from harm, but you would also hold them back from causing any harm by virtue of carrying out the duty of their office. Father, we pray for our city. Lord, there's a scheduled protest in March this afternoon in our city. We pray that it would be peaceful and orderly. We pray that level cool heads would prevail. And yet we pray that those who gather would feel that they have been seen and heard and understood and valued by the fellow citizens of their town. Father, we pray for churches. We pray for our church. We would lead the way in healing the racial divide in our community. And we pray individually that you would start with us. That you'd start with us. 
The only person we can do anything about is us. Lord, start with us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, sing the little chorus with me. Open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears, come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven, touch our generation, we are your people, crying out. to you and to one another and bring wholeness and healing. Let it start with us. Let us be the catalyst in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you receive this blessing from the Lord today? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift His countenance on you and grant you His peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all in the lovely name of Jesus and his people said.